my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome back to the podcast. It's a music podcast, everybody, and I'm joined by a pop culture sensation, journalist, broadcaster, friend. She's back. It's Jen Gannon. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Last time you were on was the Tar episode. Yes. With Michael Pope. Yes. I can't remember the last time. Tar times. Tar times. I can't remember the last time you were on the main show proper. It's been a long time. A long, for that. long time. A long, long time since I slagged off Damien Rice. That's okay. In, I think it, but it was in front of uh, Paul Noonan. <laughs> I, think, I think it was in beside Paul Noonan when I was slagging him but off. But that's probably okay. I Paul guess. was quite candid himself in that episode, I believe, you know. I, I could feel a little bit of shockwaves coming from his eyes at a certain point. <laughs> that's just when he looks at you in general. He's a very handsome wow. man, is Paul Noonan. Don't look at me straight in the eyes, Of, of Bell X1 and Houseplants fame. Um, but why don't we start with another Irish sacred cow? Because I, I, I wrote in, the, uh, in, in my kind of preamble here, there was a thing this week that I saw, uh, Hozier, you know, everyone's favourite Hozier. Mm-hmm. I think his album's out now. When yes. the podcast comes out. Uh, yeah, it so will be. There was like a, I saw like a, an Instagram thing that the label did, you know, and I, I should say like, you know, I get on very well with people who work for that label, so I hope this isn't going to destroy my relationship with them or anything, but um, they had like a listening party, which I wasn't invited to, which, you know, obviously shocking. Um, but like, they good had this, re- Good relationships, Dave? <laughs> They had this. Burnt. It depends, I suppose. They, but they, they put up like you know, like like a you know like a, a reel you know of the evening, and, and I watched it before I went on the radio the other day, and I was, I was concerned that I was going to continue my laughter into the into the airwaves because they showed like people at the listening party, right? Mm. And I'm of the opinion that I'm sure he's the nicest guy ever. But I do think he's the most boring musical product that this country has produced, maybe ever. Certainly I, in the last 10, 15 years. I think he's one of these, you'd put him in the category of he's a good lad. We mm-hmm. call them the good lads. And the good lads are like, say, Hosier, Paul Meskel. They're not the most interesting of people, like impersonally, but they're good lads. So oh. you have to kind of give them their props because there's so many bad lads, Dave. That's so true. many bad lads out That's there. That's true. Well, I mean, I, Paul Maskell, I avoided for a long time until I saw Afterstone and I was like, oh no, he is great. Yeah, he is great. A Hosier, friend of mine had that same awakening. Hozier, I like the first ever single and that's kind of it. I don't, he's not for me. No. Musically, not for me. Um, I just think, and that's know, fine, by I the way. I get that. I get, I get where he's going and I yeah. get what he's doing and a lot of people enjoy it. Oh, that, that's the, lev- the level of success I find kind of baffling. But, uh, you know, no begrudgment here. But what I would say is at the listening party, there was like people in the crowd and like they, it was clearly meant to be a quiet contemplation vibe. And there was at least four instances of what looked like people just falling asleep. And I was like, this is hilarious. Well, like, <laughs> I like, don't hype. like that though because I feel a lot of... Uh, <laughs> pressure when someone is playing something to you not at a gig because a gig environment is different but something like that or something like if someone in the unfortunate you know time of life when someone will whip out a guitar and start singing to you a la barbie um, that's why every single woman in the cinema died laughing when that bit happens in barbie because it does seen it. happen uh but um, yes, so you feel a lot of pressure to perform yourself when something like that happens, when you're at a listening party, or you're at, so you don't really know what to do or how to behave. What do you do? do oh, no, no, you're dead right. I remember going to, um, like, I've been to a few of them for journalism purposes or whatever, but like, you're just sitting in a room and even like those kind of vinyl and wine stuff that they've mm. done before with, with panelists and stuff, like it's a very nice thing, but also you, you are in a weird space where you're just kind of sitting on like a lawn chair staring, staring ahead. Staring middle distance, yeah. yeah. As, as, as an hour-long album plays. And in this case, I, I tell you, if, if I had been in that reel, I'd be the first one asleep. There's no <laughs> question here. And I should say about Hozier, um, he's, he's in the news as well, I just saw today, because he said that he would be willing to consider strike action 
over the threat of artificial intelligence in the music industry. What I say to that is, don't tempt me with a good time, Hozier. <laughs> Your fans love you already. They're so sleepy. Sleepy time, Hozier. <laughs> yes. Um, AI in music, what do you think? Uh, look, it's going to happen. I mean, like, I mean, I grew up on you know, chart stuff that was manipulated in itself. Like when you think about it, like people were always scared about sampling back in the day. People were like, well, you know, what the hell is this? Like, and you're manipulating like old artists or whatever. And it's just, I mean, it's it's like being afraid of Jive Bunny. Like it is, it's like, it's you're afraid of progress. And it is weird. Like I don't particularly want to hear Madonna's voice manipulated onto something I would never listen to. Like that's what I would be offended by. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, look, it's also progress and... I, I, we'll settle down with it. I think we need to settle down with it. I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the music industry is so disparate now and it's such a wild west anyway, like that this is the next step that, that is bound to happen. But I just hate the feeling of what I would be disgusted with is just putting words in an artist's mouth that should never belong there. Yeah. But, you know. It's like using a dead actor or something yeah. in that kind of way. But look, we might be harkening back to a different era with our top five this week, which is top five movie musical songs. We'll jump into that later on because I feel like we're on a nice kind of news kick at the moment. So Adam, my beloved Sonic Architect, who's also here, by the way, hello. Yes, hello. How are we? If you could please uh, cue us into the official news section. Hozier just didn't make the cut this week. Sorry. <laughs> Start spreading the news. Other mediocre uh, singer-songwriters are available, including Noel Gallagher. So he's in the news this week um, for an interesting reason, actually, for once. Not just the usual rent-a-quote bullshit from him. Um, he says that he forgets lyrics on stage sometimes while performing. So before we get into the specifics of this, I took this from a Guardian article, right? The Guardian, which I would assume... I've never written for The Guardian. I'd love to, if you're listening. Guardian music people. Hey! <laughs> I pissed them off once, actually, years ago, when they had, like, an end-of-year list or something, and Mm. I put up a thing on Twitter. I didn't tag anybody. I just put up a thing on my own personal Twitter saying, oh, the Guardian list looks like it was dashed off on Slack in about half an hour, and uh, Laura Snapes came after me. Oh, Laura Snapes was really nice to me when I had uh, a very bad experience with a lead singer of a group who shall remain nameless, who was sitting in my DMs for a while, and that woman knows all about guys sitting in her DMs being arseholes, so... That's fair. But yeah. for the record, I didn't go, didn't tag her, didn't DM her, put up an opinion on my own account, you know, that's all. True. Which well, is, you know, but I... but I, I, I look. They get defensive over there in The Guardian. That's they're, fair. They're the last they, bastion of that kind they, of journalism. And they worked very hard on it, which was what, the point that she was making. I just think don't go vanity searching. But nonetheless, a lot of respect <laughs> for Laura Snipes, a lot of respect for The Guardian. But I found myself surprised by the opening line of this Noel Gallagher piece which I don't think was written by Laura Snipes. Uh, this is literally the opening line in The Guardian. Some might say, Ouch. but some might simply forget the words to the song. Uh, How did that get past a sub-editor? I mean, we're all, we're all living 24-7 lives. It's, that, that, that sounds like a tired person. <laughs> but <laughs> having it's, to write it's, about it's no the Guardian. Again. Like, <laughs> what were the other drafts? It doesn't yeah. even work. Like, it, it doesn't work. Like, like it's, it's got very Irish newsreader being like, some might say, but Revelers. some might simply forget the words to the song. It's like, you could do better. How co- well, let's try and, uh, and solve this now. What, you, you what, a, a, what an, Oasis... An Oasis pun. Could we use that would be better? Oh, God. I don't know. Don't sing back in anger. No, like, like it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, like no. I don't think... If we think of one, we'll throw it he in. He used to rhyme fishes and dishes. And now he can't even remember that. <laughs> no, Geller. Yeah, it's better. It's better. It works. I mean, the, I think the whole thing is, is a difficult 
mythical quagmire, though. But the second paragraph here would have been perfect. The, to start with this, the musician Noel Gallagher has admitted he strokes, struggles to remember... Strokes? I'm having a stroke. <laughs> he struggles to remember the words to some of the hits he created with his younger brother Liam in their band Oasis. Did I write this? Uh, at 56 years of age, Noel Gallagher has blamed the ongoing march of time for his onstage forgetfulness and admitted he one day, one day may need to use a teleprompter. He said that he's on tour, constantly thinking what is the next line to the song. I've got to think about it. Now, I would say Noel Gallagher, or is it Gallagher? I can never decide. I just say Gallagher because if they want to be Irish, then yeah. that's the way Irish people pronounce <laughs> that's it. That's the thing. Um, normally, I think when we caught him on the show, it's usually something very kind of hyperbolic. This kind of actually made me go, oh, okay. I'm like, you know, fair enough. And, you know, that's he's admitting vulnerability. And I think that's okay. I don't know. I just think like, look. The output of the High Flying Birds is not the most interesting of outputs. So if he is drifting off thinking, what am I going to make for me dinner? <laughs> you know, have I put a wash on? Whatever. I can totally understand that because those songs be boring, Noel. But like at the same time, if you are using the most simpling, simplest rhyming couplets that he used to use for Oasis, there is no excuse, you know, in forgetting those. Liam doesn't seem to be having any problems that we know of whatsoever to remember them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with using like a teleprompter though because like I forget the words to songs. I make up words to songs all the time. So, I, you know, even if you did write them, I'm sure because there's so many songs in there. Not Noel, but like, well, yeah, Noel. But like other artists, you could, I could understand if you're getting on and you've written like whatever. Like if you're Elton John and you've written like 700 million songs, how the hell are you going to remember them all? He used know? a teleprompter yeah, uh, at Glastonbury there. Uh, he's also 76 years of age. But do you, you can totally tell he didn't use a teleprompter for when he was doing his little hello to the audience because he f said Fatboy Slim did that remix of Are You Ready For Love? And it wasn't. It was Ashley Beadle. Like. And if Daft Punk have taught us anything, Ashley Beadle is one of the teachers of house music. Uh, yeah, which was bizarre. I was like, what? Oh, it was a real who let Nana on the mic moment. It was a senior moment, if yeah, you will. It definitely was. Happens to us all. Bruce yeah. Springsteen has used a prompter for years. Barbara Streisand, 81, has used a prompter not just for lyrics, but for impromptu chat between numbers. I do not blame her because, you know what? <clears throat> Babs, no time for that shit. Like, pay what you like to see me pay with she was you know her and Cher were probably the beginnings of like paying outrageous amounts to see people and she's worth every fucking penny so she can do what she likes she wants to get set foot on that stage and is counting down the minutes to when you know the chopper comes in and she gets out of there I'm happy. I don't care. You've seen Barbara Streisand. That's enough. That's fair. Uh, speaking to Matt Morgan on his Patreon podcast, Noel Gallagher said, I'm sure eventually I'll need one. He said that he's feeling his age. He said his 40s were his absolute peak, but his 50s had been one thing after another. Oh. What I found is the slightest knock stays with you for ages and once that's cleared up, it's something else. And then once that's cleared up, it's something else. I can't wait to get my mobility scooter, if I'm being honest. I tore a fucking muscle in my knee or something about a month ago. It's only now beginning to start heal and I'm still in my 30s. So I really hope my 40s are my absolute peak um, I mean like for Noel I mean like when you think about the amount of like drugs that they were doing as well back in the day and like if anybody has seen the Oasis documentary oh my god like there's too many scenes of them just being absolutely out of their minds supersonic yeah. yeah I mean there's a great scene before they go on top of the pops and I was looking at Liam going this is like 4am in some flat in like Crumlin like it's insane um, and then they have to go out and, and be on tea time telly like nuts so I mean you know that does do something to you so I wouldn't be surprised if right now Noel is feeling 
I, I have forgotten some stuff definitely that I've written like so I don't think it's a big deal actually it is kind of endearing towards Noel who has been very much not that person for the past ages when you feel like he's a undercover Tory like um, <laughs> you know so yeah I thought it was kind, that of, kind sweet. of stuff yeah, yeah 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 this is a bit more human um, just real quick though on the subject of like uh, brothers in a band having a squabble before going on television I trust you've seen the Bross documentary oh loved it loved every second it's the greatest yeah when like what was it what's it called what, like, after the, the screaming after the screaming stops. stops me and Patrick Frayne the journalists were laughing at that so much that title because it sounds like a horror film. It's like what happens? <laughs> it kind after of is. The screaming has stopped. Like as in, what are they doing to each other? But it's just that it is like a parody. It's like it is written by the best comic minds out there, and it's it's true, a real documentary, and it's genius. Yeah, Absolutely if, 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 if you haven't seen it, it might still be on Netflix. If you haven't seen the Bross documentary after the screaming stops and you're listening to me, it's up there with some kind of monster as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I would delete that. <laughs> the best line in that whole entire film. So good. Uh, Adam, I have to ask, have you scanned the running order ahead of time? Do you do that? Um, I do haven't I, this week. I usually do. Let me ask you this. Why do you think Westlife are in the news this week? <laughs> oh my God. Um, They're doing something they've never done before. Woo. Uh, what could it be? Have they written a good song? <laughs> I'm only oh, joking. Oh, <laughs> wait a second. I'm only joking, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. When you're looking like that? Yeah, and Flying Without Wings, amazing. They didn't um, write that. It doesn't yeah. matter. They put, they put the, uh, they the, performed be- it the adequately. best spin on it. <laughs> they gave um, it their best. Dave, I have no idea. Uh, they've announced their first ever North American tour. Isn't that mad? Isn't that the maddest thing? After like 23 years in the biz or so, yeah. like, what, take America now? Why, to, they, why is it a good time? Breaking it. <laughs> so yeah. they did. They did a promotional run. It says here of the US during the boy band craze of the early two thousands. So I, I presume that means in stores, shopping malls, and maybe they, like TRL or some equivalent. Like I guess they just didn't do a proper quote unquote tour. They did have a Billboard chart hit though, didn't they? they uh, like have. in the lower echelons. Their only Hot One Hundred hit. It there. says here. Swear it again. Swear it again. Peaked yeah. at number twenty in two thousand. Their best song. That's my stomach gone. Sorry, lads. <laughs> But uh, my stomach thinking about Westlife. Yeah, no. yeah it's emotional. Um, yeah, that's their best song. That is where, yeah, it's where mm. it is. It's the best thingy one. Like, and that's all they do. I think, I don't think America are for them. Ready for Westlife. No, I don't think they're for them because they're, they're like a, they, they, a man band. They were all, they weren't even a boy band. Like, you know, when Take That moved into their MS menswear kind of phase and, and you know it was all for it's all the, 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 that's, the girl fen- that's phenomenal description <laughs> by the way like absolutely I knew exactly what you were talking about when and you the said girlos that. having the wine like who grew up with them would go and see them and it, like hen nighty kind of thing or anniversary reunion that kind of thing Westlife started out feeling like that they started out feeling like we're just going to sit on chairs and sometimes they're going to stand up and sometimes they're going to sit back down again and it's very you're at a 21st in the Red Cow Inn and there's a buffet. They're very that and that's very Irish or it's very European at least. And I don't think that transfers to America. Like that kind of... Boy bands are about like doing the splits and like putting your leg over your head and singing. Like we've all seen, you know, NSYNC and stuff like that. And I just like Westlife aren't that. I mean, the... So they're doing five dates, right? And it's Toronto, my beloved Toronto. And, I, and also I should say as well, it's like the, the 13th, the 14th, the 16th, the 18th of March. So they're St. Patrick's Day Oof, tying it in. Um, <laughs> they're doing Toronto, Meridian Hall, Boston, MGM Music Hall, New York, Radio City Music Hall, Chicago, wow. the Chicago Theatre. Like they're not small clubs. But so they're looking for the expats. I was to, just about to yeah. say, what are those, what yeah. do those cities all have in common? They have a massive... Infiltration of yeah. Irish people. Massive yeah. Irish population. It's yeah. a 
gamble. As you say, they are more man band than boy band these days. They were always days. a man band. Like, you know, they just always were. Yeah, they like, just aged up now. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon Louis Walsh makes of it all? A, a fucking ton of money. <laughs> he was delighted for them, I can say, from the horse's mouth, and I can't say any for... I was talking to Louis only yesterday, and This is me trying to coax Jen into some Louis <laughs> Walsh chat. That's uh, the only... I'm, I feel like Louis Walsh myself, now going, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but yeah, he was absolutely delighted for them. And he, and he did say to me, look, they're not trying to break America, so... Yeah. He knows... They're just trying to have a good time. Exactly. I tried to get an interview with them when they had their comeback a few years ago. Because again, my great relationship with the label, which did not lead to a Westlife interview. <laughs> Dave, that's, that's zero for two. <laughs> hey, they let me go to picture this five nights in a row. That's phenomenal work, so, yeah. And yeah speaking, of, speaking of scripted banter, as I described previously, they had the same banter every night. Well, yeah. like, yeah, they can't be arsed, can they? Those songs are very complex, though, I suppose. But when it comes to, uh, what was I just talking about? Why is my brain gone completely blank? Technical difficulties. Please, Adam. <laughs> uh, Westlife was yes. some of them. I, I've gone completely blank. Oh yeah, yeah. When I tried to get an interview with them, so they weren't really doing any. Is the problem? There was like a press conference or something. But I, I said I was like, look, give me an hour with them. I'm not looking to talk about their fucking sex lives or be salacious. Mm. I just want to chat to them. I'm like, because the years of the career you would have had and all the things you would have mm. seen. I feel like I I think you could if you had the time and the access. I think you could wrangle a good interview out of them. But then again, I could be wrong. Maybe they're just really dull. I don't know. I just think you know some of them very safe. You'd be like nice lads again, good lads, good mm. lads again, and then others not so much good lads, but just not interesting. Yeah, bad boy Brian though. You know, ah, Brian. He's on fight nicest. <laughs> Fair play to him. Fair knuckle fight. We heard about ISIS. that. Kevin back <laughs> in the fold. Him and Keith Duffy very good friends. Of course, they're in that band. Yeah. Boys Life. Boys Life. Boys Life. Keith Duffy of Thailand fame. And of fr- friend of the podcast. Honorary friend of the podcast as a result. Definitely, yeah. Um, so my next headline here is Nice Guy Harry Styles Under Fire once again. Also, my voice is breaking, guys. I apologise because I'm still <clears throat> still got a bit of lurgy or whatever that word is. Lurgy? Lurgy. Yeah, from being sick. Between your voice and my stomach, this is a, a beautiful yeah. listen. <clears throat> it's a, I'll throw something in the mix at some yeah. point. I'll keep <laughs> y'all guessing. Contagion podcast. Um, so Billy Porter. Who's Billy Porter, Jen? Like Billy Porter was in, for pe- people with him from Pose and like he is just this very big figure in the LGBTQ plus world um, ballroom kind of flamboyant like of the ballroom kind of era in New York and he's an actor um, and he's very outspoken about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these kind of issues. So he's reopened the discussion around Harry Styles 2020 Vogue cover insisting that it was using the aforementioned LGBTQ plus community after the former One Direction star appeared on the iconic title in Address. So back in December 2020, that was uh, Styles made history as US Vogue's first ever male solo cover star. He was pictured wearing a Gucci dress and a skirt. Billy Porter felt that it was not the right figure to represent the magazine's inclusive message and at the time spoke out against it, but then apologised afterwards, which I don't know if that was pressure or or, or just wanted to keep, to keep the peace. Maybe the stands came out or something, but uh, extended a public apology when he was on Late Show with Stephen Colbert and said, yeah. I apologise to you for having your name in my mouth. It's not about you. The conversation is not about you. The conversation is deeper than that. It's about the systems of oppression and erasure that people of colour contribute to the culture. But now, three years later, has <laughs> just decided, let's go back in and has elaborated in an interview with The Telegraph and saying that Harry Styles secured the honour of being the title's first male cover because he's white and he's straight. Jen, what do you think of all this? Well, I mean, he has a point. <clears throat> and I also think with somebody like Harry Styles, when Harry Styles does anything because he is a cute, quote-unquote cute ex-boy bander and he is of a, cert- a, a certain weight that, uh, you know, which is a fashion weight that people are 
more accepting of it when Sam Smith wears the same clothes. Sam Smith comes up against severe criticism. They are, you know, absolutely roasted for their their clothing choices. And but the thing about it is at the same time, I see Anna Wintour's bottom line. Ooh, hello, Anna Wintour's bottom line. And it's like, who is going to sell more copies of Vogue? And do you if you've seen the September issue, the documentary of behind the scenes about Vogue, you know how under pressure she is from Condé Nast to always, you know, supply those numbers, those big, big numbers. And, and that's the September issue documentary? Yeah. That's and that's a few years old now. So it it's only gotten so it's harder. even gotten worse yeah. because you know nobody <clears throat> buys magazines anymore. So unfortunately, if you are putting a black queer person on the front of Vogue, US Vogue, it I would say it won't sell as many copies as Harry Styles, and that's the end of it. But at the same time, I do think that there should be more queer representation, especially in Vogue. I mean. My God, the fashion industry is built off the backs of the LGBTQ plus community and women, uh, like straight women. And it doesn't acknowledge that enough. It, it really doesn't. And I think, you know, for a time, UK Vogue was doing it so, so much better under um, Edward Anyful, or I, I always pronounce the surname wrong, but uh, I think it was doing so much better under under him. Uh, but they're not they're they're not happy with that either, and he's actually leaving the UK Vogue, which is kind of worrying because you're like he was at the forefront of pushing boundaries, and without that, it will be bland again, and it will just be about kowtowing to the advertisers. But I don't think like it's a, I get Billy Porter in one way saying it isn't Harry Styles' fault, it's the culture's fault, but at the same time, I get him rowing back as well because he's like hang on a sec because there's always this big conversation around Harry Styles queer washing and doing things to appeal to a queer market or whatever and to, to increase his fan base in that way but I don't think he necessarily needs to do that per se or you could say that but take that back in the day bef- oh, yeah. before there were you know Those MNS, first videos they were s and yeah, they yeah. were yeah. going around in like you know leather <clears throat> assless chaps like so you know that's a whole nother conversation, but I don't, I don't know. Harry Styles is just, the thing about Harry Styles that is annoying is he's never come, said anything one way or another. He's never made a stupid Brett Anderson statement where he's saying, you know, he's like a, a man who has never, what did he say? A bisexual man who's never had that, the homosexual side of experience, which was dumb. That's Brett and Anderson then, from Swade. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. I love. And then, you know, the David Bowie thing as well about, you know, kind of, saying oh a queerness is such a, an amazing thing but like obviously being a, a heterosexual man you know who's never had those experiences and it's always used in that way and I think the, the shitty thing is actual queer artists never get that attention like someone like Joe Bryant back in the day around the same time as David Bowie hardcore amazing artist if you've never checked him out do but um, you know he would never he would never get the same spotlight on him as, as David Bowie and, and that's just it's the patriarchy dudes well, and yeah. it's capitalism. And also that point you make about magazine sales, I mean, that brings me back to, you know, I obviously used to work for a certain music magazine from mm-hmm. this country. And I remember about 10 years ago, and just to clarify here and just to kind of be like full on with my attempt at clarity, I should say, is that like, this is more anecdotal. I didn't see the sales figures, but I did hear 
that the year that Azealia Banks was on the cover, mm. that was the lowest selling issue of the year. Now, I don't know that 100,000%. I just heard that that was the case. And man, she always has something to say. So if you're not buying it to read what she's got to say, what's wrong with you? Like, that's the thing. Like, it's just the bland will rise to the top a lot of the time. Not that I'm saying that Harry Styles is completely bland. But no, like, but he's safer. He's safe. To, yeah. a, to a mass, to market a mass audience. audience. Yeah. yeah. And like, again, no Gallagher on the cover that year. So like hotcakes might have been mm. the biggest selling one that year. Which again, it's a certain ingrained thing. It's not acceptable but that's just the way it is Porter just to clarify as well as Jen was saying you know very much did say he doesn't have a problem with Styles personally sent him flares as an, as an apology it's not his fault you know that he happens to be white and cute and straight and fit into the infrastructure that way I call it the gatekeepers so feels like one that's going to run and run yeah do you think okay. uh, I guess real quick I mean like do you think Harry Styles gets a hard time of it or is it totally fair I think it's fair I think I mean I think you should push these people if they're in the spotlight in that way and they are flirting with uh, you know this kind of imagery and it, it's about asking you know who is in charge of his pro- well, production design in a way who is a stylist you know is he going to talk about his influences in that way will people ask him about that and really interrogate him you know not about his love life about important things about the messages he's come, uh, he's pushing and about who he's working with and you know shine a spotlight on them and the people that went before him and I don't know if he does enough of that he plays it safe be, being like oh Elton John and, and David Bowie mm-hmm. of course but at the same time like there are people there that you can go further with and I feel like with those a lot of those artists it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's organic it doesn't feel like they're coming from a place like say to mention Madonna again like working within that world and then you know all boats rise then like bringing those people with you or even just talking about them in the media to help people go out and discover their work with Harry Styles it doesn't feel like that because I don't think it is organic he's not naming those people he's not like you know a Roshi Murphy that will do that will name those designers will name those left to centre people for people to discover because it's, he doesn't have that background. He, he actually doesn't. He's been told. Yeah. Someone has come along with a, a, a book, a lookbook, and went, we're going to take you and put you in X, these outfits. And it, you're, we're going to tell you it, this is referenced in David Bowie or this is referenced in Elton John. And that's as far as it goes. Yeah, it is a technical business though. And I would say, and again, like, I mean... It, and he, I'm not blaming him. But he I'm does also saying, provide, you know, you know, like a lot of inspiration and power and protection for queer youth. And he does emphasize safe spaces at his gigs. And, you he's know... He's the biggest artist that we have at them and take from this what you will but he's the biggest artist that we have male artist at the moment who is that flamboyant in that way just even with clothing Mm -hmm. that it has a massive audience I mean you know like that's a loaded statement, put it that way. Sure, sure. He could be doing more. Um, lastly, because there's a great quote here from Billy Porter where it said he'd done a Q&A with Anna Wintour, the aforementioned editor-in-chief of Vogue, uh, in front of Condé Nast staff months before the cover came out. And quote from Billy Porter, that bitch said to me at the end, how can we do better? And I was so taken off guard, I didn't say what I should have said. He should. He said that he should have told her to quote, use your power as Vogue to uplift the voices of the leaders of this degendering of fashion movement. Six months later, Harry Styles is the first man on the cover. So, yeah, an interesting one. Hey, listen, I can't talk because Timothy Chalamet was... the first front cover of Vogue UK, first male solo front cover. Did you cover. buy it? Of course I did. did and he looked like Sexy Screech on the front. Did you buy more than they, one they, copy? They fucking chose the wrong photograph. <laughs> an awful photograph where he looks like, you know, like Sexy Screech or like in a, you know, those German books that you'd have in like secondary school where it's like, hi, my name is Fritz. Those kind of, it was a terrible photo, but I have it. The other photos are good. I think it was Demarcia that did it. 
Anyway. So you're a part of the problem, I am Jen. part of the problem. So everything I've said, I'm an absolute hypocrite. Disregard the last <laughs> 10 minutes of the podcast. The final news story this week is about The weekend. Uh, he said he's no longer going to entertain the idea of features in his music career. Uh, he said he's uh, he's done with them. Uh, he's, there's some song coming out with a feature on it, but then he's not going to do it anymore, which is interesting, I suppose, to a degree. We'll see if he sticks to his word. I've mostly put this in, though, just to ask Jen Gannon. <laughs> If she has watched The Idol, and yeah. I, I've yet to, I did watch a video essay about it there on YouTube, though, which makes me think, I'm maybe I'm not going to watch this out of hate watching after all. You watch some of it. It's very hard to watch that show. For And like, God, I said they're really annoying. Um, I just think, you know, we have an issue at the moment where we're talking about like, the kids, ver kids, don't want sex scenes in films anymore or whatever. They're like, you know, Gen Z are like... Can I just say, by the way, because yes. I said to you on the way and I went to see that film, I went to see Passages this mm. morning in a press screening, which I'll be reviewing on Arena in a couple of weeks' time. And I, I couldn't help but think <laughs> during some particularly explicit scenes, I was like, oh, the kids are going to struggle with this. See, and the thing about it is, for something like that, even though I haven't seen the film yet, but I will, but something like that, I have, n- I have zero problem with it. But I can understand their point when it comes to something like the idol because it is when you know when you read the stories about what was going on behind the scenes then you read you know about how the extras and you know those actors were were treated and Sam Levinson has a lot to answer for and especially like with regards to euphoria as well and he just doesn't have the best rep for looking after these people who are you know getting paid considerably less money and have to work maybe even twice as hard as the the main characters the main actors but then also just you know by silence silencing like women's stories like the the fact that the idol was changed like completely and and a female director thrown out yeah Amy Simetz, Simetz like yeah. was gotten rid of because it was like oh it's too female focused now and you're like sorry but it's about a bloody pop star they denied that but come on like yeah. it's pretty obvious and it, and it is from a very male gazy view um, and within that there is like torture porn there's a lot of rape um, and even my gorgeous little Troy Savan is completely destroyed in one episode oh my god I hate even saying that and you know it's just I can understand where people are coming from in that way when they're like, well, do we need all this? Do we need to see all this explicitness because it's not serving the story in any way? And the story is piss poor anyway. And I mm-hmm. would have loved to have seen what she like she would have done with it and where she would have taken it because I think it's a really important thing to talk about, the exploitation of women in music. But it ended up being this stupid, crappy thing about... a shit cult like it wasn't even I love cults and it wasn't even <laughs> like that and everybody had terrible hair Not I couldn't get over of, the weekend's look in this show oh my god I was like what the fuck are they doing he looks like a junior uh, vampire in like I, I, that actually sounds cool a junior vampire in a 1980s film sounds great Yeah, it's not like that he's a good looking man but not in this show and like her hair Lily, Lily Rose Depp's hair you would be thrown out of the pop industry for having hair as thin as that. It would never happen. I'm sorry. It doesn't happen. Cosmetic um, business. That really annoyed me. That's just as an aside. And I just think the dialogue was un- a turgid bullshit. There's some infamous lines that have done the rounds, which I won't quote in this show because who wants to hear me say those words? But, yeah. I mean, but I mean, what I would say as well, though, I mean, we are referring to the overall kind of phenomenon that we're seeing through social media prisms as well. So you wonder just how widespread it is. But this thing of, you know, the new generations are much more chaste than, mm. say, our generation or whatever. But like, because they're discovering films like Basic Instinct and being like, what the fuck? And, you know, yeah. quote unquote, studies say that younger people are having less sex. Again, I don't know if you can de- de- definitively define this. The rise of antidepressants somehow. Yeah, I feel yeah. is linked to that. I might have a reason 
reason and the general overall societal loneliness that has uh, us all. squandered the entire <laughs> fucking globe. But I guess at the same time, though, if you're, as you say, if your reference point now in 2023 is someone maybe discovering this kind of content is the idol. Mm. I mean, it's, I, I felt <laughs> like good. just it's not helping the argument to, you know, bring back smut and make film sexy again. It just was Everyone really hard. just needs to see wild things or something yes. from like the 90s, guys. You know, Jesus, remember that? I will never <laughs> oh, forget it, Adam. <laughs> anyway, um, so don't watch The Idol. That's what you're saying. No, I mean, like, if you, if you want to be in for really feeling really bad all the time and seeing some of the worst acting and worst hair you've ever seen. Actually, Lily Rose Depp wasn't that bad, in fairness to her, but like, the script, absolutely dreadful. Okay. Um, Scripts, though, are a big factor when it comes to the movie musical, which is our top five this week. Jen, you chose this topic. Why did you choose this topic? <laughs> it's so weird. When I was going through it and picking my top five, I was like, I'm Delulu. I've I've lost my mind. I'm deranged. Um, and I think, like, I guess when I was little, I was a little ham. I was a little ham. And it's it, hard to believe. Um, and... I loved, like I didn't, I don't love musicals. This is one thing, right? I don't Great love stars, musicals. Perfect. In that Neither way. do I. So. And I'm, like, I'm not a Broadway person. Like I wouldn't be like, I know people that went to New York and they were like, well, back to back Broadway, baby. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't like jazz hands. I'm not a, you know, I was never involved in musicals in school or anything. And I hate Andrew Lloyd Webber. I hate his output. Except for, mm, Jesus Christ, Superstar. I can't beat that. But you do love extravagance. I love music and stage shows. I love a good, I love glam. I love glamour. And the thing about it is, I love a certain type of musical. I love the old musicals, like the MGM kind of back in the day. That's I'm glad my you do because shoes. mine are very modern. Okay, my all of mine are old. And Great. That, um, all of mine are old are literally, literally because back in the day, like when you were, I grew up like there was, you know, four of us, like all girls. And when we were growing up, if you were bored or like, you know, said you were bored or whatever uh, during the summertime, my mom would literally sit us down and put on a fucking musical and walk out of the room and we would watch it. That's the funniest thing is we would watch it. If you did that to a child today and said, yo, you're going to sit down here and watch something from like 30, 40 years ago, that's tantamount to child abuse now. You cannot do that. You can watch Singing in the Rain or you can watch The Idol. Decide (laughs) now. And like, it just really, there's something about those musicals and it, that, it was so hard it ended up being so hard for me to pick five I found this extremely because difficult. I love so many songs okay. I love so many and it broke my heart because I have so many like honourable mentions that I, I want to talk about as well sure because sure well, well, of course uh, but what I, what I would say as well is I mean like so yours are all of a much older era yeah okay well that's good because I was there's one I thought we'd have definite crossover on which I've chosen which maybe we won't but if we if we don't I know you'd be glad to hear it but I will say I found this to be extremely difficult because I'm not a big musical guy I like what I like and I asked somebody at one stage, for example, I asked um, a great friend of the show, David Tapley, I was like, do you think Inside Lewin Davis is a musical? And he, <laughs> and he was like, fuck no. And I was like, but it's got so many songs in it. So I don't, like, I, like to, he was like, to him a musical is people singing the dialogue. And I'm like, mm. well, that's one form of it. I, I think it takes many forms. It does take many forms. It does. Because there was a few where I was like, is that a musical? But like, I, I tried to stick to the ones that A, that I love the most and that, that is true mm-hmm. but B, the ones where it's like and now someone's going to break into song Yeah, like, which is cool And I love that I will say as well before we move on with it um, I like 
I wanted to avoid obvious ones. For example, like I didn't pick anything from say like Rocket Man because obviously it's just an Elton John song, mm. and I, I think Rocket Man's fine. But like you know, you're like that's kind of cheating. But yeah, then that's I, a jukebox musical. That's different. But I do like jukebox musicals, and I did find myself uh, very much like, how am I going to finish this list? So I have thrown in one of that nature. Okay. But I, but I think everything I've chosen has kind of like a, either a personal attachment or I think there's talking points around it. So I think my list is a bit unhinged. It's very unhinged, and I felt really insane when I was actually picking them, and I just. Yeah. Kept on laughing to myself, going, "What am I lying?" Yeah, so I don't know what you've chosen. You don't know what I've no. chosen. Before we get started, I have a question that I wrote down today because I didn't want to forget this. And I've literally in front of me, I've got ask Jen if she thinks Joker two folly do <gasps> or a folly of junk as I've been calling it. Do you think follow jo- my junk? Follow, yeah, you know that meme where like it's him yeah, and it just yeah. says junker. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Michael Pope, by the way, uh, former guest alongside you for Tar. He sent me that meme once and he said that he accidentally sent it to his boss. Oh my God. No context. And I was like, <laughs> do you still have a job? Do you think Joker 2, Folly of Zich, will be any good? And the reason I asked that, of course, is because it's going to be a musical. It's and Gaga. It, and it has Gaga. And I love, look, full, you know, I just love Gaga. Do you feel betrayed um, by her taking this role? No, because like, <laughs> I, I'm dying to see what the hell happens. And also it gave me those stills of her which I use all the time if I had a bad day which is, happens every second day where she has like all makeup running down her face and she's just screaming like on the steps or like she's lighting a fag and sitting on the steps looking like absolute trash like street trash like the way I feel like a rat girl so I'm dying to see that like anything I, I anything that she is going to bring me and she is going to bring it 200%. Whether you like it or not, I'll be that there. woman I'll be there. is going to, you know, eyeballs are going to burst. It's also like got Brendan Gleeson and it's got Harry Lottie from our t- our favourite show. Oh, Industry. Industry. Go watch Harry. Go watch Industry, everybody. Yeah. Wonderful, and that's got great sex scenes in it. Great it does. Sex it's a very sexy show and it's come back for another season. Yeah. I fear it'll be the last, but oh. nonetheless, we've been doing pretty good so far. Oh, it's got Kit Harrington in it this oh, no. time around. I know. I was like... Wah, wah, wah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, so great. hopefully... Look, we believe. So far, so good. Right, I'll go first because I want you to go last, essentially, because I, I, I think it should finish with you. Okay. So we'll jump into one of mine. And, and I found myself surprised surprised that I chose this one, but I think we can talk around it. So here's my number five. So this is like uh, movie musical songs. You know, are they favourites or do I think they're just interesting? Number five. So that is Drive It Like You Stole It from the by the cast of the film Sing Street. Yes. And I should note that there is a no popcorn episode on Sing Street and I would encourage everyone to go listen to it, especially for the moment when, and I've gone back to this often myself, when Dave Higgins reads out the fracas that went down when director John Carney criticised Keira Knightley in the press and then had to climb down and apologise for it. Dave Higgins's dramatic reading of all of the information relating to that is 
outstanding, especially when Higgs is like, this is Kira Knightley. She's been working for 20 years at this point. It's it's glorious radio, guys. Uh, I, so go back and listen to Sing Street. The film Sing Street, though, I have to say, I, I have my struggles with it, but I do think this is an absolute banger. What do you think of the film and the songs in it? I hated the ending. The ending oh, of horrendous. that film is impossible. I remember being <laughs> in the cinema and being and going with it, even though I always thought the female lead was way too old for him and it would never have happened. I was like, she's oh, way too name? old. Can Lu- I remember Lucy Boynton Thank you. is the actress, yes. Thank you. I just thought, no, that's, that's not going to happen between them. I couldn't see it. Um, but the ending, I remember turning to the person I was in the cinema with and we were both agog <laughs> that it had happened. Like, we were like, sorry, what? What? what way it feels like something from a completely film different film. Yeah. yeah. I was like, and also I was like, I think I'm going to, is this going to go? I kind of did, kind of did. Oh, it was, yeah, it's it's a baffling ending. I felt like someone was, you know, had 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 a fall and then woke <laughs> up and went, oh, I better finish this. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Goodbye. To like, me, it was like they watched Grease and they were like, how can we change this? Car, yeah. How can we change this just enough that they might not notice? Also, the funniest thing for me that came, this is like kind of derailing the conversation a little bit. I'll let you get That's back to it. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. My favourite thing to come out of that is listening to the Tony Cantwell podcast and him doing the impression of Jack Rayner. Going, I used to ride birds, man. <laughs> I love Led Zeppelin. Like the thing about I Jack- was a fucking jet engine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Jack Rayner's character in it is he also felt a bit too modern. What's with that wig? Yeah, it felt like he was in like a grunge, almost a grunge era like yeah. on the verge of and he just wouldn't have had hair like that back then I don't think and I no. hate look I love the 80s like I love it because like I mean when I'm DJing like Lime and Fancy it's all Italo disco and like 80s like forgotten 80s hits and what I hate about when pe- people set their films in like the 80s or the early 90s they never commit to the hair because the hair was bad guys the hair was fucking bad but commit <laughs> to the bit and do it and put some respect on it and they just never do a properly what about Bohemian Rhapsody Jen? Oh God, <laughs> the teeth and hair. And we move swiftly on. From there's that a scene in Sing Street where they're standing on a street, and behind there's a sign for a shop, and it says something like, you know, allnightdownload.com or something. Ah, and I'm like, come on, guys. Continuity, guys. For the love of no, God. We've got continuity all over Bohemian Rhapsody as well. My God. Oh, yeah. Like, but, um, but this song from Sing Street, I do yes, think, is a charming, a charming number. It's and the best song on the whole of the whole film. It needs to be. I know mm. that like um, friend of the show Dahi is a fan of the Riddle of the Model song, which is fine. <laughs> but like you know, I, I think this is the one. This is the showstopper. And da- Dahi, I hope you're listening. That song fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's nothing good about it. No, no. This is the one. This is the one. You did good, Dave. And I think as well, the lead actor in this movie, uh, Ferdia Walsh-Pilo. Pilo, yeah. He popped up in that horrendous film, Here Are the Young Men. Yes. Did you watch that? No, because the trailer was enough for me. (laughs) I was like, I'm out on this one, you guys. shocking. That Uh, has Anya Taylor-Joy in it. Doing a very passable Irish accent. Okay, good for her. Uh, Yeah, I think she was going out with the director at the time. Oh. Owen Mackin. Yeah. So it's got got Ferdia Walsh-Pilo. It's got Dean Charles Chapman. Great names. Uh, from Game of Thrones you'd only be in that film if you have three names guys <laughs> and well actually Finn Cole is there as well from Beaky oh. Blinders and doing a Dean, yeah, Dean Charles Chapman does a horrendous Irish accent I'm derailing but what I would say is it's, it's a shockingly bad film it's the kind of film I would have wrote when I was 15 when I was reading Brady Snell I was just going to say it's real American Psycho let's kill a homeless guy big time yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's like and look I, I still love American Psycho but like you know so do I. it's better than this <laughs> for five quite some time. but the reason I mention this is because Ferdy Walsh Pilo is in it and kind of has a smaller role but I thought he was really really good in it okay. I think he's really really good in this and he's I'm kind in of, um, Coda 
Oh, is he? He was in Coda. I haven't seen that. He's the love interest in Coda. I think he's got a small role in that Sex Pistols TV show. Oh, nobody that watched. was absolute. Is it ginormous gutter? Horrendous. That was diarrhea. Danny Boyle. Did oh it? yeah, Danny fucking Boyle. Most what is he up to? Like director. But the point I'm making is, I think this guy's a really good actor and performer. I don't know how much of the song is helped by whatever, but like, I kind of thought he'd be a bigger star. Maybe he still will be, but like, I think he's got something. Yeah, I think after I don't know what he's doing now after Coda, but like, he got a lot of good press for that Good. which is a mediocre Hallmark film at the best of times should not That's have won That's why I still haven't watched an Oscar. it but like he, you know he's fine in it fine okay. fine performance Yeah and this film I don't love but I do like elements to it and this is one of them so that's yeah. my number five I'm not saying it's the best musical song of all time but I struggled this week guys so <laughs> Jane if you could go up next and of course give us a bit of mystery as we uh, throw to the audio uh, Ooh it's old <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to be like this Don't be a nicely invented champagne it's plain as it can be, they thought of you and me The night they invented champagne They absolutely knew that all we'd want to do Is fly to the sky on champagne And shout to everyone in sound That since the world began, no woman or man Has ever been as happy as we are Tonight yeah, that's the night they invented champagne. Leslie Caron singing it from Gigi. And Gigi, if you haven't seen it, is fucking demented. I don't <laughs> recommend... Gigi is not like my favourite musical or anything. It's not my fifth favourite musical in the world or anything, but this song is my fifth favourite song out of a musical, I reckon, because it's amazing, first of all. But look, if you don't know what Gigi is, it's mental. It's like this film about this French playboy who is dating all these women and has this very strange platonic platonic guys relationship with this young girl um, it's basically like Leon without uh, guns but with fan dances instead set in like the 19th century um, and obviously as Gigi gets older love blossoms between them but she has to she doesn't want to be his woman on the side she wants to be treated right um, and he has to make that decision um, it's also famous for having the song Thank Heavens for Little Girls in it oh, very wow. famous for that song brilliant <laughs> <laughs> what year is this again? Uh, so this is like the 1950s like oh this yeah in the enough, 90s, yeah. but like say no more yeah um, I love it I love I don't love Thank Heavens for Little Girls <laughs> but I, I, I know where you're coming from guys um, but I love this tune because it's just about the excitement of when you're a young girl and you're just on the cusp of going out and being excited by nightlife and the experiences that being an adult will bring you and um, she, it's just so joyous and it's so short and it's a bit, it's really exhilarating and it's about enjoying yourself and there's not enough songs in like those kind of films where it's the female experience of just having a great time and, you know, trying champagne for the first time. And I love champagne, you guys. And I love going out. And every time, like if I'm going somewhere or whatever, I will stick this on sometimes and be like, yeah, I'm going to have a great night, you guys. And it reminds me of one of my favourite Tom and Jerry films, not films, was just one of the Tom and Jerry cartoons where they visited New York and they danced with these little women that were placeholders on the top of like some restaurant in a skyscraper and they twirled them around the place. It always reminds me of that as well. It's just like, 
I just love the imagery in it and I just, uh, yeah, it's just about having a razzy time on the tiles. It's got that very manic energy to it. There's just so much going on in, <laughs> yes. that, in that clip. It's, it's just that era-centric thing. Yes. Um, also, you mentioned Leon the Professional there. Um, I was obsessed with that film when I was younger. I rewatched it a couple of years ago and I watched the I watched the European version, the director's cut. Have you seen this? It is no. <laughs> gross. Okay, yeah. And like, you know, it, it is genuinely like, you're like, and I don't want to sound like someone who invested money in the fucking Sound of Freedom film here or anything, <laughs> but like, it is borderline pedophilic. You're like, mm, whoa, Luke worrying. Desson, what yeah. is going on in this movie, sir? Um, but yeah, like, you know, and that wasn't the 50s, that was the 90s, yeah. damn it. See, like, the, I mean, look, there's a lot of stuff that we, we need to re-examine, but my other choice was going to be uh, a song from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Talk about problematic. This film was about a group of guys who were living in the backwoods and just basically kidnapped a load of women and made them their wives. Uh, jolly. <laughs> what a jolly film. And it has this amazing song called Lonely Polka. Um, and it's about the guys singing uh, chopping wood. <laughs> there is, you know, a legitimate imagery stuff going on there while they're chopping the wood and it has he's talking about being very lonely and it has lyrics like can't make no vows to a herd of cows and you know a man can't sleep if he sleeps with sheep what? Like it's very bizarre, uh, but it's also amazing. And that film was brilliant because Dr. Jacoby himself, Russ Tamblin, was in that film as Gideon, and he does this spectacular dance on like a log of wood that you cannot get over. It's so good. It's like that film is nuts. That's one of those films that my mom used to make us watch with Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. They'd always be on in the afternoon on, on like a Saturday or something. BBC or Two, yeah, 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 as well. Like, yeah, TG Carr. Yeah, it's a long musical. Brainwashing young children into yeah. this is how society works, guys. <laughs> That's it. So uh, my number four. This is my cheat code now, where I've chosen something from a jukebox musical, which I'm, and I'm pretty sure you'll be able to confirm this. I know you're obsessed with the performance in this movie. You'll be able to confirm if this is in fact any vocals from the actor whatsoever. I think it's just the artist that they're playing. It's a biography, and yeah, I want I want to talk about the movie because it's a it's a divisive one. was my idea. It was a tremendous hit. We was back on top. But some people were putting ideas into his head that he didn't need me no more. We was back on top, baby. That is, of course, Austin Butler as Elvis. I'm pretty sure just using Elvis's voice. It is, yeah. And the song is If I Can Dream from the comeback special in the late 60s. And... I I chose this for a couple of reasons. Number one was genuinely I, I kind of was like, I don't know if I've got five picks this week because I don't know. Like I feel like I, I'm really mining it like a not deep well for me. So you cheated and chose one of the best songs ever. I had to. Full stop. I, well, <laughs> once, I, once I thought of it, I was like, wait, I'm a genius now. This works perfectly. <laughs> and I think I have picked this in a top five You're just five like Colonel four. Tom. Yeah. 
<laughs> Ouch. But I will say, I mean, like, I, because I've, I've talked about the Elvis film on the podcast before. I thought it was fantastic. I appreciate that not everyone feels that way. But I, I sat there in the cinema when I went to see this. And when this bit happened, I was Nelson in The Simpsons when... Oh, yeah. Third encore. Yeah, Moon River. <laughs> full, I literally was, I was transfixed. I thought all of the musical numbers in the film were done incredibly well. And I, and I felt the kind of the bombast of it come across. But, I, you know, I, I thought it was just really incredibly effective. And, so moving. And I also was like, you know, it's that thing as well where it's like my dad was a huge Elvis fan. Suspicious Minds was his favorite song. And there was a few moments during the movie when I literally like looked to the empty seat next to me. And I was like, mm. oh, I wish he was here for this. I wish he got to see it. Now, I also don't know if he would have loved the movie because it's so fucking overwhelming. Well, my mom is a massive Elvis fan. And I took her because I like and her criticism for something like that would mean the absolute world to me. Like to know like what she thinks. And yeah. she had a riotous time. She loved it, except for at the ending where they showed real footage of Elvis. She was like, you see, that's the thing. They shouldn't have done that because Elvis is transcendently beautiful and you could just see the difference. They don't look a thing alike and you can't have what he had so that was her only notes yeah. but apart from that Baz Luhrmann you did well for my mom well for like a hardcore Elvis fan I mean like, that's always going to be the thing but for me who was kind of like much more casual I, I I thought Austin Butler was amazing yeah no she did think he was great she did She did think like my mom thought he did a, a, an excellent job like with the way he did it and how he did it and there was a lot of twirling headlines that's what I cracked me up about it Baz Luhrmann's nuts and like all of those twirling headlines it was like something out of The Simpsons for like a good it's yeah. constant, yeah. Good. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what the hell is going to happen next, you guys? Like, I've, I've said it before, but like, it is like, like especially in the first, and that's why I was kind of like... The first hour is bananas. Like, the entire thing is, but yeah. the first kind of run of it, like the first act or whatever, that's why I'm like, I, if my dad saw this, I think he'd just be like, what the fuck? Like, And again, my, I think my mother hasn't seen it yet, but I'm like, I, like I, I've primed her. I've been like, look, if you're going to watch it, just know that it's, it's Baz Luhrmann, so it's very ostentatious. But like... It's it's basically him like machine gunning cocaine at you for like yeah, the first twenty minutes though. But exactly. I and I do want to quote from um so a friend of the show Mark Conroy when he reviewed it on his Letterboxd account. Let me get this now because I remember it being very funny. He gave it three out of five and he said I think I needed about eight more shots of that Vegas sign because in the last <laughs> act they just keep showing that Las Vegas <laughs> so sign. True. I was like my god, it's so true. But I loved the excessiveness of it all. I was like, how do you make a film? It has that- to have bombast. It has to have like that over the top kind of madness. To- it like yeah. the excess the sweat yeah, excess is key yeah. isn't it like, and yeah. I loved that about it and I think he did it the exact way that I think Elvis would have loved it mm-hmm. I think he would have got great crack out of it like, the family seemed to I mean I, and every time there was like you know a needle drop I was like this is just incredible uh, we are of course getting the other side of the story soon yes by my fave tell us about oh that oh my god so Sophia Coppola is doing Priscilla and that's out in October and I'm very happy about this. I don't think I'll be bringing my mom to that though. I think that's just a, a me film. It's maybe a bit more depressing this um, one. Yeah. And it's basically like, yeah, it's just her story about me and Elvis when she was very, very young and the overwhelming, like Sophia is just the queen of girl feelings and I know it's going to capture that overwhelming sensibility when you A, fall in love with someone for the first time but B, them being the biggest star in the entire universe and how like that just heightens every emotion um, and how like that kind of passion can just be like have so much so many layers to it who's um, playing our principals again well oh oh Jacob Lordy is is playing Elvis and I don't know who is playing Priscilla now I can't remember her name that's, that's classic classic that's bad on me female that's erasure bad, bad feminist points for that one I'll look it up while I look it up uh, what did you think of Tom Hanks's performance in the motion picture Elvis I thought it was 
insane. Uh, <laughs> there's no other words for that. I keep on saying insane a lot tonight. And it's, but like, come on, that is, what what accent is that? Exactly. Where, where, where are you get you from? It? Where did he get, like, what research did he do that led him to that point? I don't know. And why like, didn't somebody great. say stop? Yeah. Like, yeah. Please don't do this. Priscilla yeah. is being played by the amazingly named Kaylee Spaney. Oh, Spaney? Okay. Uh, she's been in things such as Vice, Bad Times at the El Royale, yes. Mayor of Easttown, The Craft Legacy, which is horrendous, and Pacific Rim Uprising, which is not much better. But I... Uh, you know, she looks great and you know what it also the first trailer dropped a couple of weeks ago and I was so shocked by the song that Sophia Coppola chose which is you know fine that's part of me and Sophia's relationship but I was so shocked by it that I went specifically into a shop to buy dinner and then I walked out and left without it because I was thinking she chose Spectrum how you satisfy me Spectrum like Sonic Boom like Space Ventree like I was just like years and years ago one of my first serious boyfriends put that exact song on a mixtape for me so hearing that again years later in that context I just was like no we're we're meant we're meant to be together me and Sophia doing (laughs) some kind of film work Uh, but yeah I mean it's going to be sensational it's going to be looks it's all aesthetic but also just she gets the feelings right she always gets that level those levels of girl those emotions that girls go through like even in something like you know the Beguiled where I think a lot of people didn't really see that or wrote it off it's the Colin Farrell one Nicole Kidman Kirsten Dunst and Elle Fanning I still haven't seen it but here's good though about the ha ha he of when you fancy your teacher or some <laughs> strange man that comes into your life this older man and it, it, it's like she's just so good at doing that she's so good with those emotions that I know it's going to be something very special Okay uh, can we have your number four please uh, Yeah this is a I guess people watch this a lot at Christmas time and also it's Timothée Chalamet adjacent 10,000 tons of ice cream and if I don't get the things I am after I want the works, I want the whole works Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises Of all shapes and sizes And now, don't care how I want it now Don't care how I want it now that was Julie Dawn Cole as the original and the best Veruca Salts in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka as we just call it did, you almost, did you almost say Charlie XCX in the Chocolate Nearly. Factory <laughs> I'm always doing that I'm not sure I I'd call, watch that that's a music I video ja- we I call all Jamie XX, Jamie XCX all the time my friends <laughs> like me off her because I love Charles Charles in charge um, yeah she's just one of my all time heroes um, I was always just entranced by her in her little chubby fur coat chubby furs are great and her red dress and you know she's a little fucking bitch yes we're not saying that she's not but she's also a hero to me because I remember at the time watching it and that there's a specific moment in that song where she is so angry and then she's shaking her head and calms herself down and I was like that is Honestly, when I thought about it later, I was like, it was the very first time I'd ever seen a distillation of female rage on screen when I was little. It was my very first time of seeing that. And I think, you know, she is the opposite of what little girls are supposed to be like. And, you know, they're supposed to be like, 
wallflowers or thank you very much and, you know, fade into the distance and be grateful for everything. And she's not grateful at all. And I find that amazing. And I'm in love with that. And I think it's a really bizarrely transgressive statement to make this whole song. She's like, I want it all and you're not going to take it away from me and I'm going to have it all. And you're like, she's really fighting back against, you know, her just saying, I want the whole world. It's just such a massive freeing statement. And like her frustration at not getting that is, it feels so real. It's about like expressing your desires. Like for me, it's about expressing your desires in like abundance. Like you want this life of luxury that like, you know, the de- the depressed and patriarchy that is delivering Charlie cabbage soup every day is not going to give you. And she wants to like excel beyond that. And we know, all of us know when you're watching at home that Faruka would have made the better person to run that fucking factory. And she would have went toe to toe with that murderous Willy Wonka and she would have won. And I just think, you know, women have it hard and Veruca was always going to be on her way to get, you know, knocked off her perch uh, before she went down that shoe. But Charlie um, Bucket's the picture of bland Aryan goodness. <laughs> I think she's a queen, a legend. She was the moment. Uh, there was a band named after her. Yeah, Cedar, a great song by Veruca Salt. Yeah. Love that song. But I do think, you know, there should be like, we're talking about Sophia Coppola, there should be a revisionist Marion Antoinette done about Veruca Salt because I think, God damn it, she deserves it. And that song is peerless in that way. Like, so I can't not ask you a noted Timothy Chalamet stan. <laughs> yes. How are you feeling about Wonka? I have a photo of, there is a photo that my friend took of me finding out the news about <laughs> Wonka uh, about two years ago. Like 9-11. And I, like, I'm just <laughs> devastated. It's like, you know what they say, falling on Jen, my knees in a Walmart. Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> a second Chalamet, a second Wonka has hit, hit the, 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 <laughs> <hit> the multiplexes. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this is A, happening, and B, that I'm going to have to go and see it. Like, you, know, it you know who's doing the music? No. Neil Hannon. Oh, that's actually okay. Um, the, the, the trailer's dog shit. I, I mean, say that. I just saw an image of Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa. They should get rid of them immediately because who wants to talk about their origin story? What? That, that'll be like that's the, not good. That'll be the spinoff. Yeah. I mean, th- someone literally put out a tweet a few years ago saying... Watch them make some fucking origin story just called yeah. Wonka. And then, poof, here it is. Sexy Wonka. Well, I mean, like, look, a lot of my friends slag me off. Well, all of my friends slag me off about it as well. Because, yeah, what a name. Are you going to be Wonka in the <laughs> cinema? She's having a Wonka. We need like, a Barbie Oppenheimer. We need, like, a film to come along to be the Wonka. Like the thing yeah. is, I'm going to have to Wonka-nator, see it. Like, Wonka. Wonkenheimer. Yeah. Wonkenheimer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's tragic, but I'm going to have to see it. Day and I one. really don't want to. <laughs> like, well, I hope you get to review it at least. I mean, I'm I'm sure. Like, look, we he, we've seen him do that old Nicki Minaj number. I know he can sing. We've seen him do statistics. You know, he popped Ms. up in Lawton. the he popped up in the Kid Cody documentary. He did, yeah. And he was like, "Cody's my life, man." Oh. And I was like, "Yeah." He's just a he's a good lad. Leave him alone. <laughs> Is he still going out with? Uh... Is we don't talk K- about Kendall it. Jenner? We, we do, no, not Candle. <laughs> Shut it, Candle. Uh, it's uh, the other one, Kylie. Oh, right. Jenner. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I can't well, keep up. I can't not, keep not up with anymore. this. Let's not go there. He's okay. allowed to live his life, okay? Let's go. You picked a childhood pick uh, for nostalgia and, you know... Hey, big... for like very valid reasons. I'm not being dismissive. <laughs> I'm just saying I've done the same thing for my next one. So here we go. Zoo. I'm telling you, it's a world class menagerie. Prince Ali, handsome as hell, 
So it's uh, Prince Ali from Aladdin, Disney's 1992. And again, you're like, is it a musical? I guess it is because there's constant songs in it. But, you know, and this was, you know, like you talk about, you know, your parents putting on a musical and leaving the room. I I, I must have watched this thing about uh, 700 times when I was younger. I think I've only seen it the one time really? ever I when, I, when I was in the cinema. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. That I was enough it. for me. I love it. I love it. I love it. I haven't seen the Will Smith version. I don't really want to. Or the, or the guy was there a guy, guy Ritchie, Ritchie? Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he directed Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Like, what? Well, apparently made like a billion oh, dollars. Oi. <laughs> oi, oi. Fuck off, GD. I mean, I, I I just I don't know. I mean, maybe out of curiosity, I'll watch someday. But I've always loved Aladdin. I, I find it very innocent and cool. Um, and this is more like to pick something to kind of get like a tribute into Robin Williams, I suppose. Mm. Um, and I feel I could be wrong. I haven't gone back to him in quite some time. I feel like it's on the lower account of potentially offensive voices and stereotypes that he would have tapped into as a comedian. Because he did do that. <laughs> oh, he did, yeah. He, did, he, he went around the globe with some of those impressions, <laughs> you know, for better and for worse. And I watched, um, I rewatched Mrs. Doubtfire recently. Insane. Doubtfire. Insane film. Yeah. <laughs> and again, one Absolutely bananas. One I would have seen numerous times. And like, I'm not, I'm probably not the first person to make this observation but it really struck out to me this time when I saw it and there's many things in the film um, and not just the typical one of like oh it's a secret horror movie we know that but like yeah. you know the sequence when he becomes Mrs. Dayfar mm-hmm. the long which actually is a musical sequence because they start singing um, matchmaker matchmaker yeah. make me a match and I think Harvey Forestine's in this and he played Tevia he on did. stage or he something so, on the roof girl so all these kind of you know little callbacks and it's a cute scene but the whole scene if you haven't somehow seen Mrs. Doubtfire is he has to dress up as a woman to infiltrate his family and steal them back divorce by, is hard guys by gaslighting them <laughs> divorce for a mediocre white man in the 90s <laughs> who was clearly a terrible husband why would you leave Sally Sally Why Field. Would you lead Sally Field. There's also the whole element of Pierce Brosnan's character. Oh, we love. I forgot. Yes, Bronholm. Let's get to that. Bronholm. Let's get to that in a second. But like, so, and I, I know we mentioned talking about Aladdin, but like, let's just go where we go. Um, <laughs> so they get the sequence, Mrs. Doubtfire. So he is. So what he's done is he has sold himself over the phone as a elderly Scottish woman. It's very distinctive. He's given the name Mrs. Doubtfire. But then he goes in and he's like, I need to be a woman now. And Harvey Firestein's like, thank God, or whatever. <laughs> and does the makeup thing with his boyfriend and they have the whole sequence and it's it's very funny and Rob Williams is clearly improving like crazy and they Chris Columbus is like, how am I going to get this down to 10 minutes? I don't know. But he's doing like... He, he looks like Barbara Streisand. He looks like a Spanish woman or something, which again, you're like dodgy. He tries on various different things, but it's like, no, no, you have sold yourself as a Scottish old woman. <laughs> Why are you going through hey, all this? Let's like, just go crazy, guys. Because let's the magic of the fucking movies, yeah. that's why. That's because we love montages. Yeah, Can't get fair. enough of a montage. Pierce Brosnan's character in this movie, by the way, just for the record, is simply a nice man. The most fucking one-dimensional character. He's, just, he's, he's, he's some kind of multimillionaire who used to go out with Sally Field, reconnects with her, loves her, loves the children, mm. is never revealed to be a cheating scumbag. No, it's not like Tree Man and a Little Lady, which is always better than Baby. That guy was a prick yeah. that she ended The Brosnan character gets almost murdered by Robin Williams <laughs> and just leaves the film. He never, like, there's never a scene where he's caught cheating on her. He's never abusive to the kids. He's not involved in some kind of weird diamond mine deal. He's just a nice man 
Oh. And he almost gets murdered. You know what? <laughs> that like... happens. It happens. And, but also, Mrs. Sapphire is now kind of reminds me of Arrested Development. Sure. When Tobias was the Mrs. Penny. Mrs. Feather. Featherbottom. But Featherbottom. The scene where he falls <laughs> through the table. It's, the I remember best. the first time I saw I was, that, I, I howled. With, like, when like, you started sore. talking, I, I started laughing. I was like, I can't stop thinking about that. It's, it's the sound so of him cool. crashing through the wood. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, yeah, anyway, but yeah, Robin Williams is a great talent. I, I oh, think yeah, Aladdin, sorry. Aladdin. <laughs> I, I, I think Aladdin's great fun and I do want to go back and watch it someday but I maybe I need to watch the Will Smith version just to see it no no one needs did you see it no okay and I'm not going to we yeah. don't need that in no. our lives no, no. I don't think who so. voiced the genie in the Aladdin sequels when Robin Williams didn't return do you know no idea Dan Castellaneta oh, aka Homer, Homer Simpson. Simpsons fame yes Sweet gig, in fairness, yeah. that, that genie gig, you know? Yeah. Right. Get, those, get that genie money. Get that blue money. Uh, that was my number three. Can we have yours, please? Oh, this is like a lot of the ones I was picking were kind of childhood ones. And I would say this is when I moved into, now it sounds like I'm obsessed with musicals, but this is when I moved into my more adult musical phase. Money, 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 money. When you haven't any coal in the stove and you freeze in the winter and you curse to the wind at your face. When you haven't any shoes on your feet, your coat's thin as paper and you look 30 pounds underweight. When you go to get a word of advice in the fake little pastor, he will tell you to love never more. But when hunger comes to rap, rat a tat rat a tat at the window. At the window. Who's there? Hunger. Oh, hunger. See how that flies out the door. That is obviously Queen Liza Minnelli. Oh, it's so weird. We're talking about rest of development yeah. <laughs> as Sally Bowles and Joel Gray as MC from a cabaret doing money, money. And did Cabaret deserve to win Bob Fosse a Best Director Oscar over Coppola for The Godfather? Uh, debatable. <laughs> but I fucking love this. I love this film. I could have picked any song from Cabaret, pretty much, because you've got mine hair, maybe this time. But like, Money Money for me has, I wanted to include Joel Gray as well as MC because I think the two of them together, it's just so wild and it captures that essence of like I love this film because I, I'm all of my stuff is like I love like the whole Weimar Republic Germany of that time I loved the Isherwood book you know the Berlin stories and like seeing Liza Minnelli as Sally Bowles who is like your atypical sad girl yet again I'm, I'm mad for them um, and she had this almost like sub clockwork orange S&M-ish kind of look to her it's, it's just an incredible perfection look. Yeah, yeah. like and you cannot take your eyes off her during this film and she's trying to seduce like poor old Michael York at the Kit Kat Club and it's idealistic it's 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 seedy it's like all of that bohemian life that you wanted to be a part of well if you're me anyway you want to be a part of that and like I just think I love Money Money as well especially because it's like a song about struggle like you never feel like you're getting ahead you always feel like you know you're never going to survive and you're just your head is just above water but also so they're still, you know, the the thing about Cabaret is like the war, the Nazis, they're right there. Like in the, they're like this, uh, you know, humming in the background that's getting closer and closer to like put it, put the knocks on the good times that are happening. But right now, all we have and all they have is 
this night in this nightclub. They're still jitterbugging across the dance floor. They're doing like, you know, this dark, glamorous world that they're in. They know it's going to come to an end and that end is going to be really violent and really dark. But like right there and then they have the niceness of the darkness where, you know, it's concealing stuff. It's, it's clandestine. It's fun. And they have this magic to the night whereas like they know within days weeks it's coming for them and the good times are going to end and I just I just adore Cabaret but like it's not it's it's not even my favourite Bob Fosse like my favourite I think all that jazz and I think you know when we're talking about the Oscars there I think all that jazz was the one that is the upset all that jazz should have won best picture it just should have and like I hate, I absolutely hate Kramer versus Kramer. I hate that fucking film. I think it's a middle class boohoo film. And I absolutely, I'm like, James Caan hated it. I always loved James Caan for having this absolute hatred of it. I hate it too. All that jazz is a masterpiece. Like, and I just think, you know, when I had, when I had COVID like a couple of years ago, I watched every Fosse film. Like, there's not that many of them. But like, do yourself a favor if you haven't and, and watch all of them because they're a treat. They're like the best films about like the exuberance of life, but also the deepest darkest like depression but even something like Damn Yankees like he it, it's not one of his directed like he didn't direct it but he did the choreography for it because I know Bob Fosse is all about the movement and if you can't see that there but you can just hear it the moves it was all about like he changed choreography forever it's all about zoning in on a tiny part of the body like the wrist the ankle you know the head movements the neck the shoulders and it's amazing to see there's Lynn Damiankis which is not a great musical um, him and Gwen Verdon do this dance and it is the most electric thing I've ever seen it's to the song Who's Got the Pain and it, Who's Got the Pain is a real throwaway comedy song but what they do with their bodies is unbelievable like I cannot I just think I was so glad that I, you know you can if you haven't got involved with Bob Fosse get on it because he'll change your life I really feel that I need to because all that jazz keeps popping up and I shamefully haven't seen it but your passion there was so strong that I will I will make I will redouble my efforts to to watch it but and I will reward that passion Jen with my number 2 pick because because you've chosen older musicals I don't think you've chosen this but this is this is very much for you and for me but more for you so here's my number 2 Right, that is So May We Start from the motion picture Annette from 2021, I want to say. It is. Mm. And in fact, we did a No Popcorn episode on it back in October of 2021, so go check that out. That is Adam Driver singing there, and Marion Cotillard singing there as well, I believe. Sparks, yes. the genius creation that is Sparks, are the principal songwriters of this movie. Um, and I would say, I mean, this was in my most played songs that year on Spotify. Me too. I was absolutely obsessed with it. It's the opening stretch of the film. Mm. And here's the, here's the rub, Jen, and you're going you're gonna to hate me for this. I thought the film peaked here and I wish I liked this film more. I love I I, but I, I, I adore this so much and there are elements of the film I do love but I it didn't it just didn't work for me overall. I remember texting my sister after we went to see it uh, a couple of days later, almost about three o'clock in the morning, I just said, I am baby Annette. 
And she was like, I was waiting for this stupid text for so long. So can you, I just loved it. It was nuts. Can like, you describe this film for anyone listening right now who has no idea what we're talking about? Because I, I, like, it, it's an art film. It's an abstract film. It wouldn't have been, you know, it, it's hardly a Barbenheimer phenomenon. So. Baby Annette is like a, a doll, almost. Like this, um, it basically, it's, it's an allegory about like the dark, demented side of fame. And... Adam Driver is a psychopath in this and like at his psychotic best as this kind of stand-up comedian but not really he's almost like a a performance artist almost which which I think stand-up comedians think that they are yeah he's and, some kind of weird <laughs> hyper mix of like Joe Rogan Louis CK and exactly maybe like Bill Hicks or something but the Marion Cotillard is this famed opera singer um and they have this relationship this wild tumultuous relationship which also you you do get like which was a big talking point before the film came out but for me anyway and amongst my friends that you know there is this sex scene yet again talk about sex scene where like um Adam Driver goes down on Marianne Cotillard which and someone was saying to me does he sing during that part <laughs> I was like wow um, so that film gave me everything because it has sparks it has a weird child puppet child thing Baby Annette me who became famous uh, who plays like this Super Bowl like so yeah, when yeah. the weirdest thing was when Rihanna was at the Super Bowl and she had that, this level this raised level at the Super Bowl I was like Baby Annette did a first girl that was literally looked the same. And even your man from the Big Bang Theory is actually very oh, yeah, good. Yeah, he's great. He's very, Simon Helberg is that yeah. his name? He's and really good in this movie. He plays like lit, almost like the same character as he does in what was that film with uh, Meryl Streep and Hugh Grant, uh, mm. where she's the really bad singer. Oh God, Florence um, Foster, Foster Jenkins. Jenkins. She got a he's, fucking Oscar nomination yeah, for that because, of course, he, she he did. plays almost the same role in a way as that because he's like the the sidled other composer, virtuoso yeah, kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, but it's a great. I mean, the thing about Annette is you, you either go with it or you don't. And Carax is like that. The Carax, yeah, he yeah. also made Holy Motors. I do think I do want to watch it again. I didn't, it, I really wanted it to work for me. And again, this song that opens the movie, I think is fucking incredible. It's a stunning scene. It's such yeah. a great scene. The way like, that they're all, yeah, they all move with it and kind of, yeah. it, start, it starts literally with Sparks in the studio. Mm. And then like, it goes to the actors walking out of an auditorium or something and they're all singing it together. And there's other great music in it too, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think overall it's a great job by them. But yeah, I just, I felt disconnected by it. And by the end of it, I was kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake, please end. But even having, but even listening to it again, like I'm kind of thinking about it, again I'm like I, I think I would go back to it I was so close to putting this on my list you wouldn't even I can't believe, believe you didn't no and it was really hard for me not to but I didn't because I was like there are two other songs that I just love a lot more a quick word for Sparks by the way before we move on because I know you're a huge fan they're the best ever I love Sparks um, I, I, God, I only saw them recently again I think it was my sixth time seeing Sparks Sparks have like at every era they just do something completely different in left field and they're always like the thing about them is they're just so interested in the mechanics uh, of making music that they'll never stop I hope they never stop and they go like their brothers and the, the male brothers and you know they will go to each other's houses and, and write music every day. Like if you haven't seen the Edgar Wright film, is the it documentary, good? it's great. It really is. But it, it it just goes through album by album. So, you know, and tells the story of them through the albums, which is great. Like it is, if you have never heard of them before, it's a really good starting point. But like you could, you know, I could make a Sparks 
playlist for somebody and someone else could make a, a Sparks playlist and we would never have any songs on it in common because that's how big their back catalogue is and how varied it is. And they're camp as fuck, but also they they worked with Georgia Marauder, but they're also rock as shit as well. They also, you know, they do, they did an opera about Ingmar Bergman. Like they're, they're all over the map and they're true, proper artists, but they also are super funny. I did love as well when people were like, they're like, Edgar Wright made an incredible film that year. He also made Last Night in Soho. Yeah, which sucks. True. All right, uh, can I have your silver medal this week, please? Okay, this, uh, uh, the, this uh, like it was a toss up between these two songs, but like this is my second and uh, yet again, it, it's, it, it's a big diva number. Parade. I'm gonna live and live now. Get what I want, I know how. One roll for the whole shebang. One throw that bell will go clang. I on the target and wham. One shot, one gunshot, and bam! Hey, Mr. Onstein, here Like jazz hands o'clock, I guess. That is Babs. Barbara Streisand doing Don't Rain On My Parade from Funny Girl. I don't give a shit really about Funny Girl, the film. Really. It's really long um, and it was never one of my mom's favourites so it wasn't on rotation in our house. But like my mom did, Omar Sharif is in it. My mom did have a thing for him but only in Dr. Shivago so she's very specific. That is very specific. About Omar in her life. But um, so like, I mean look, everybody kind of probably knows the story of Funny Girl now because the whole Leah Michelle bullshit that was going on on Broadway uh, last year where, you know, she took over the role um, from Beanie Feldstein because uh, it just wasn't happening for her. It just, I felt bad for her because it really just wasn't happening for her. And I'm not a Broadway person, so I'm not even going into the internet today. But basically, Funny Girl is about Fanny Bryce and she's this awkward, funny kid. And you know what, guys? She's got moxie. And <laughs> even though she is not gorgeous, she attracts the attention of this suave bastard called Nick, who's Omar Sharif. And he's at the theatre where she works because he has to play, pay off a gambling debt. And you know, she wants to be part of the follies. She wants to be a hoofa. She wants to dance. She wants to sing. You're but she's be a also star, funny. Kid. Yeah. yeah. And it's her dream. But then she gives up her dream to leg it off and get married to Nick. And Don't Rain on My Parade is the song about her basically telling her besties to shut the fuck up and let her live her life. And I cannot tell you how much I love this performance. I love this her vocals and like at one point in the film when she's singing this she gets on a train to head off into her future and it's like Barbara is the train <laughs> she is just powering through this song and I love it so much because it's a, it's a song about doubt it's a song about failure it's about denial it's about self-belief like when she says like if someone takes a spill it's it's me it's not you so you know leave me alone don't worry about it and like it's about kind of being foolhardy in the face of adversity and I, I just relate to it so much and I just her her vocals are just sensational in it it is nuts it's showy it's brassy it's probably everything that people dislike about and take the piss out of uh, about musicals but for me it's really bittersweet it's very heartfelt I, I used to say like maybe I would have it at my funeral I don't know but I think it's one of those songs that it's captures like the essence of how amazing Barbara Streisand's voice is like why do you think it, it attracts 
derision then if people think it's a go-to as a slag musicals off thing it's just because it's so fucking over the it's top it's so or? over the top like I mean I really feel like all my songs that I've chosen are all about like women being ambitious or trying to climb out of their circumstances and it's a, it's kind of like a bit of a cliche for musicals I suppose and also it's just a camp classic like it is you know every kind of drag queen has done their their babs like and and they do it a lot of people do it to this song especially so I just think it has that extra factor in pop culture of just being a bit too over the top but you know I love it I, I give me it all also, while you're speaking, it started to lash rain outside, and I can hear it like on the roof and through the window. And I'm like, "It's this podcast is becoming a dramatic musical, incredible!" Um, right. In that case, I will throw out my number one. This was my immediate number one. It's pretty much my go-to musical, and I think it's somewhat divisive, which I would like to talk about. But I think it's fucking perfect. So here's my number one. Caught with a flat world. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night. It'll all seem all right I'll get you a satanic mechanic I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual so Adam said there that's like Shawn Michaels wrestling entrance music. <laughs> Anyone who knows, knows, you right? Know, you're not far off. Maybe it's yeah. an inspiration. This is, that is Tim Curry singing. It is Sweet Transvestite from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which of course from the Rocky Horror Stage Show. Uh, Richard O'Brien of the Crystal Maze fame wrote the story, wrote the songs. Mm. I'm obsessed with this film. And this was a product of it being shown to me at much too young of an age. And I was captivated and transfixed by the entire thing Tim Curry like I mean wow. Tim good- Curry is, is always like Pennywise to me so I have a different relationship with Tim oh Curry. I had that too yeah he's Pennywise the clown he's Dr. Frankenfurter here and he's also uh, Clue he's the butler in Clue oh yeah he's the butler in Clue he's, oh, dark- he's darkness in legend the terrifying yes. devil like he's been everything he's a wonderful wonderful performer and I just find this like again I was too young to even know what I was seeing but I was like what the fuck is going on everything from like his appearance in this which I was terrified by mm. you know he turns around the lift and you get the zoom in on his face and the fright makeup and everything and then of course he's in drag and I'm like what's happening what is this um, what Susan Sarandon like, like I'm too young <laughs> for this <laughs> like, and then of course you have like the most one of the most horrific murder sequences I've ever seen when spoilers poor Meatloaf gets it (laughs) via ice axe it's horrific but I love the movie and I I have to say like every time I see like a friend log it on Letterboxd it's always like two and a half three or and I'm like what's going on guys this is like in my opinion the greatest musical ever I love every musical number in it I'm going home at the end Mm. and then Richard Bryan coming in with his kind of thing at the end when he's just like doing the falsetto stuff I love everything about this do you think people have that weird opinion about it because it's become this thing in pop culture where it's like like stands yet again mm-hmm, kind of ruining mm-hmm. it in that way because it's just everywhere as in like let's have a Rocky Horror Short Picture night in the yeah, cinema kind of thing I never went to any of those and I remember years ago saying to a friend of mine at the time and I was like should we go to one of those and he was like Dave people fuck at those things <laughs> and I was like okay oh, <laughs> he was okay. like we're not I, I, maybe like <laughs> oh I mean God. there was some like cinema that like would have it on like, like once a week or once a month or something and like yeah it's that thing where it's like you know you're meant to I guess it introduced audience participation in a way because mm. it's like you know people throw toast at the screen when they say toast or something okay like the room people do, people do the time warp yeah that kind yeah. of stuff I mean yeah no no I never actually like I've never dressed up as you know a, a member of the crew in this or anything and I've never taken my fandom to that level of extreme but I've always just been fascinated by it and I always thought it moved at a clip and I loved the songs I loved the characters I loved the performances mm. everyone is so perfectly cast 
you know, mm. Barry Bostwick as the stiff boyfriend, Susan Sarandon as the the kind of, I guess, the kind of virginal ingenue who's wow, actually got Susan a wild Sarandon. side. And she's so beautiful in this oh movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Sensational now. It's like, ridiculous. Uh, Meatloaf in his little bit. He's great. Uh, Tim Meat Curry. Meatloaf in his little he's bit. In, he's, can't be, he's got one scene. <laughs> Good <laughs> like, for you, Meat. He's got that one song. Mr. Love. Mr. Love. Mr. Mr. Flawed, we call him. You get that one one scene and he gets murdered. Um, Tim Curry just dominating from start to finish. Um, I do find myself wondering as it's aged though uh, also and this is a genuinely genuinely stupid question but like is the word transvestite now a, a really yeah, not, horrible not great yeah, yeah. But certainly, I, so I don't really know what like I think it gets a pass because of the time yeah like, that's, and in this it's yeah. not I don't and it's think, not derogatory yeah no in this it's not I, I, obviously yes it's, it's you know they're from transsexual Transylvania mm. but it's, I, I I never took it as it's not it's not fucking Graham Linehan right exactly. this do you know what I mean like, and I think that people mom's net, like, yeah. thank god yeah <laughs> no. I think anyone that was watching it also felt a warmth and like a, a love for yeah. it and a love for those characters and you know a lot of uh, acceptance like in the queer community like they adore the Rocky Horror Picture Show like so yeah and like I'm a very boring very straight white male but I love this movie <laughs> like I, I was always like taken by it I was like wow this is the greatest thing I've ever seen see that's musicals work yeah my god look at us <laughs> there you that's go. insane the power of this but again the songs are absolute bangers Richard yeah. O'Brien was on something yeah. so good I love it I need to revisit it it's great there's also a no popcorn episode I keep saying that but you know they're, they're out there guys go listen and that's my number one Jen over to you uh, this song is one of the best songs ever written one of the best performances ever uh, from one of my favourite films in the entire world there may come a time when a lass needs a lawyer but diamonds are a girl's best friend there may come a time when a hard-boiled employer thinks you're awful nice But get that ice or else no dice He's your guy when stocks are high But beware when they start to descend It's then that those louses go back to their spouses Diamonds are a girl's best friend It's Marilyn uh, doing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And there is nothing that I just, it's everything to me. My neighbours, a shout out to my neighbours, I am so sorry, but they will know that during lockdown, actually, well, and also sometimes when I get shit-faced, I will <laughs> sing this song from start to finish in my bathroom because I always think the bathroom has better acoustics and I feel very, every time I wake up after doing it, I always feel very sorry for them and I do apologise. I can never, ever, ever get that. She, like, okay, Marilyn is singing this song, but then, you know, the, there is parts of it which I will add in because it's not fair. You have to give like the the dubbing kind of uh, 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 the props as well. So Marilyn is the majority. Sorry, can of the I, song. Say, I love that you're on first name terms with her. It's great. <laughs> it's always well, us sad girls. We we are. We what do you think of Blonde? By the way, well, I'm going to come to. Okay, that. but uh, <laughs> she is helped a little bit at the end. There's like this final note that just hits this really high level, and it's it's Marnie Nixon, and she was the go-to gal for dubbing. Like she was. The one that very famously Audrey Hepburn you know didn't sing on My Fair Lady she did her vocals um, and she's a, a dynamite singer but it's it's Marilyn all the way until that point but like she dances on that note and it's spectacular 
spectacular. Now, like, this is my problem because I love, like, I do love Marilyn. I have to say, I was always like, I mean, I've read Blonde. I read Blonde a long, long time ago and loved, I mean, I, I enjoyed that book. Um, I think, like, it's a very complex book um, and it's written by a woman talking about female pain, but that's not all it's talking about. But at the same time, that's all that Dominic wanted to talk about. And I fucking hated Blonde. Yeah. Um, and I think Dominic, he gave a, a few now infamous uh, interviews around the time of the promo and one was to Sight and Sound. And they asked him, you know, about Marilyn as a... Uh, an actress basically and you know she was an actress a really gifted performer such a gifted like comedy stylings like her now like but she is not just the symbol of suffering and pain of female suffering and pain and he said he was talking about of this song of this defining moment of this film he said it's a movie about well-dressed whores and it's sisterly advice about if you're going to get fucked, you better get paid. And it was romanticised whoredom, uh, which you can tell the kind of guy he is by that quote. And you can tell the kind of film Blonde is by that quote because he doesn't actually care about Marilyn Monroe, the person, the actress. He cares about the symbolic nature of the suffering of women. And the thing about it is, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is a brilliant feminist buddy film between Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell and it's so out there and it's just you know the women are they're not on the receiving end of the action they're making things happen in their lives and they're unabashedly chasing what they want and I think yet again like I was saying about Veruca Salt it's it's a hymn about luxury in the face of oppressiveness of the patriarchy and it's about how these industrious women survived how they existed they were just this blank space of desire for men and they were the object of affection and until something younger came along and you know this song is about you take that disappointment the disappointment that you have in love and you put it into something material because something has to be worth something and you know it's it's when the man isn't worth something what what will be worth it and it's about clandestine romances it's about like you know the mistresses these women that didn't conform to society at the time and who were maybe taken advantage of and it's about like you know you need to secure a life for yourself at this very unfair moment in time in the 1950s and it's like you know what get yours girl get it all take them to the fucking cleaners and I just love that about it that unabashed desire in it is just it blows my mind and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is one of my go-to comfort films even if something minor happens to me I'm like I'm just going to watch it tonight and that scene is my eyes popped out the first time I saw that scene she is dressed in this like hot pink and it's hot hot pink dress and she is absolutely covered in diamonds twirling around hitting these guys in like top hats and tails with her fan just going no 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 I don't want any of you jerks and like before that you had Jane Russell in this extremely fruity scene where there's an Olympic squad of guys like they're in swimming costumes and they're, they have barbells over their heads and she's hanging out of their muscles and it's so funny and so deliciously camp it's just a gorgeous film um, and I can't believe that he would reduce something as important and as brilliant and as funny as that film to like whoredom 
beautifully put. Um, I, I, I mean, it's the on the subject of Blonde and yeah, Andrew Dominic, the director. Like I, the assassination of Jesse James by the character Robert Ford, which he made, is in a my great film. In my opinion, like it's it's still probably for me probably the best film I've seen since mm-hmm. it came out. Like I, I don't know if I've seen a better film, and I, I worship that movie, but. It's got a, it's got a it's got a big woman problem. It's mm. set in the Wild West, so maybe naturally it has to, but it's, it's still got a big women problem. They're barely in it. <laughs> like sometimes uh, I don't mind that. Like, so Ashnell shows up at the end for like two seconds to say nothing. I think he got like, oh, is it? Who's the actress from Weeds? My brother loves her. Can't remember. Uh, her. Big nineties actress, and it's like a uh, triple barrel name. Yeah, it's not Mary Tyler Moore, no. but it's something <laughs> it's like, like that. Like, I will check. Bit, Thank will you. Check. Uh, Look up uh, TV show Weeds and lead actors, please. It'll come to me in a second when Adam tells me. uh, Mary Louise Parker. Parker. Mary Louise Parker. You you saw where I was going. Yes, I can see her face. She's in it as, you know, the wife and like gets like two scenes or whatever. And like ultimately, then he's got Killing Them Softly. And a film I think is also brilliant. Mm. I don't think there's a single female character in it. Like I don't mind that too much because when I'm looking at Oppenheimer, I was like, why did you bother one? Like, I don't think that Christopher Nolan should have any women in his films anymore. He'll never beat the allegations. And by that I mean the allegations of him being a terrible filmmaker when it comes to yeah. portraying women. But no, no, like I say, I don't necessarily, I don't sit there with my with my fucking notebook, especially as a, as, as a cis white male. I'm like, where are all the women? But like, <laughs> it can be obvious at times. And I, I, I was very disappointed when Andrew Dominic gave those quotes because I regarded him, and I still regard him as a very interesting filmmaker. And I do think you can make a film based on that. I do think you can. But I thought that film was horrendous. Mm. I, I thought her performance, Anna de Armas, I thought she was great, but she's playing a character for the most part with very little agency, but she does look incredible. It's a great physical performance. And I think she tried her very best, but I think it's, apart from a couple of incredible shots, I think it's all over the fucking map. Yeah. Uh, you you endured that film. It was Definitely. such a chore to sit through from every conceivable aspect of it. I just, I really was like, okay, now I need to never ever think about that again. And I didn't have it. And like you, you clearly had an emotional investment because you you love Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, I was like, oh, I want to see what he does with this. And at the end, I was like, what the fuck was the point of that? And like, it's a weird disservice to the book as well because the book is more about just myth making and I iconography and, and the making of an icon and what goes into like the that kind of image of the, the loneliness of women or like the starlet, that kind of era. And it doesn't really have anything like that in it because it is just, it's just objectifying her pain all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, it really, it's, it's a very disturbing film in that way for me. And I just think those comments just made, they're so ridiculous Productive. Like, and it's, and it, to engage with a film like that in that way feels so old school and dead to me because, you know, I just don't think you can. He, it's obvious that he would never watch these type of films. Or, and you have to engage with, with Marilyn's work in some way, even if you're going to do a film. I know it's not her story per se, but like, even related to her in that way as a symbol. Um, and to not do that is to take the humanity out of her. And it's clear that he didn't want any humanity in her anyway. She was just a symbol. Um, and that just made me really angry because I think, look, she gets trampled on enough as it is. Like with Hugh Hefner buried above, below her, with Kim Kardashian ripping the shit out of her, like her dress exploding because Kim Kardashian decided to wear it. Like, And it's just like, let the woman have a bit of peace right now, please. And celebrate her for how good she was. And I think there's nothing better for me than that song than, and that film especially and I think you know Madonna ripped it off to a T when she did Material Girl and that's connected to it as well and I just think there's a symbiotic relationship in that way that all is 
in my head, jumbled in my head about it, but I still think it's a perfect song and a perfect film. Jane Gannon, thank you so much for uh, this incredible trip down musical lane. Thank you, jazz hands. It's been very informative. Put those jazz hands away. It's <laughs> been very informative. It took it m- m- many different turns. I wasn't sure where it would go, but I, I'm very happy with where it went overall. We, oh, cov- yes. we covered all the bases. We really did. We went from Baby Annette to Veruca Salt <laughs> and back again. Yeah, uh, they're all in there. I also had you know my cheat code of Elvis and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, go watch all these movies, basically, is what I'm saying. So And thank you for coming back to the podcast. It's been great to have you. A pleasure. Thank you. And of course, I can't let the curtain drop without uh, <laughs> celebrating my my own song and dance man. It is, of course, <laughs> Sonic Architect Adam. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. That's uh, that was one of the more grander gestures, I think. <laughs> as as with musical as with musical um, fashion, you know. That's the sentiment, indeed. All right, that's the show for this week, everybody. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. We're back next week. Thank you. Much love. Bye bye. 